All right. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Karthik. I work as a staff engineer within VMware Global Support Services, um, and been like close to nine years uh, debugging, troubleshooting anything around vSphere and uh, especially around uh, anything to do with storage. And that includes vSAN, which is the core area where I work as well. Uh, so coming back uh, to today's session, it's about the vSAN performances, best practices, where uh, as part of our day-to-day -day job, where we work with quite a lot of customers around performance and its areas. And that's where we thought, okay, there is uh, something where we need to have a lot of all these details which are missing when we work with the customer. Uh, that would really help all other customers as well. So this presentation was a trigger with all uh, the work that we did with our customers. So in the next 30 minutes of time, right, uh, we're going to be discussing about uh, quite a lot of details around uh, uh, how the components or the nodes are designed, especially around the compute area, around the disk groups, and to an extent we'll be covering something on the network part as well. So. Before I move on to all the performance and other details, uh, the first and foremost thing, uh, the documentation. Um, I know uh, pretty much everyone overlooks the documentation, uh, but they got ton of details and all we speak in any of the sessions, in any of the uh, tech talks, everything kind of boils down to our documentation. But unfortunately, there could be certain issues in here, but um, do take it a uh, point to review those documentation, especially around performances and uh, around the design guidelines as well, because those are two areas ultimately everything boils down to on how a setup is gonna be. So what does it uh, matter? So before we get on to our session, so there are certain things that I want to kind of set very clear so that you know what to expect out of the session. So uh, we're gonna be going in detail, okay? And that's gonna be touching upon many of the design considerations as well. And when it comes to design, there is nothing good or there is nothing bad. It, it all boils down to what kind of environment that you have and what is the expectation or what is it kind of meant, uh, I mean, or it is configured for. Those all boils down to whether this particular option that is something will be useful for you or something that you can even ignore them. So which means not everything that you need or not everything that we're going to be discussing, maybe it would be applicable for you, but some may not as well. So with that ground rules, let's get going. All right. So why does performance matters? Um, there's nothing to kind of explain it's self-explanatory, but the first thing is the old age says, right? Uh, a slow and steady wins the race, but uh, these days it's like marathon plus sprint. So you can't go ahead with like kind of a slow performance any down that can bring down your entire business as well. And being a storage, um, the impact could be magnified into multiple things that your entire business comes down to a grinding halt. So uh, why does it matter? So that's where we all these best practices will help you to ensure you take a right choice and the decision gonna help you in terms of your performance for vSAN specifically. First thing, CPU. Um, when it comes to CPU, right, uh, people usually don't bother much about it because it's taken for granted. Anytime when you order a node or order a server, you take it for granted. Okay, it comes with the, uh, I mean, flashy, the new CPU that are, I mean, kind of coming with your, uh, any individual node that you kind of buy with them. But there are certain factors that can have an impact on your recent performance as well. So many people, first, they kind of think, okay, how many, like 1P, 2P servers? Um, the reason why we highlight all these 1P or 2P is that uh, these days people always go for a dense server means like kind of two socket servers with like say one or two TB of RAM which is kind of super dense right. Uh, these kind of decisions can have an impact on vSAN as well uh, in an indirect way. I'll tell you why and how. So first thing, uh, 
when you have all these things, right? So there are a lot of actors like Numa and other considerations that comes into play. So usually we see with the explosion of number of cores in a single socket these days, those days of like kind of beefing up with four sockets or like kind of eight sockets, those are all gone days. With single socket, you can do much more things than you were doing with like kind of uh, quite a number of hosts actually. So with that in mind, one P in certain conditions, especially with AMD and other earlier, I mean the rest is epic processes, they run much, much better. So you have to decide on which, uh, I mean, or the configuration of your node, is it going to be 1P, 2P? Second thing, about the frequency of it. It, it, thing, it looks very simple at a higher level, but it's like how fast your CPU can kind of charge up itself so that it can get the job done in a, in, a, in a shorter span of time. So the higher clocking is something that we recommend. And finally, when it comes to performance, so make sure your BIOS is set to high performance. That, that's the power policy that we expect with our customers. But most of the servers our OEM vendors provide with the balanced performance, uh, which is something not we recommend because a lot of other things like uh, C1E and other states or even for that matter, Turbo Boost, which helps you to kind of scale up your performance for uh, vSAN, that in turn drives in increasing the throughput as well as decreasing the latency that you see with them. So that's very important. And when we come to memory part, uh, nobody have a look or like they don't consider that much at all into this particular section. So they kind of take it for almost like granted, like all they care is like how dense it is. Is it, am I getting a 1 TB or like 512 GB or like it's a 2 TB, that, that's all they look at. But there are two important things that I want you to take note of. Once you know what it is, then it, it makes really sense on how it would have an impact on vSAN. Uh, but most likely your OEM vendors would take care of it, but it's always good for you to know so that you could take an informed decision. The first thing is about the kind of DIMM that you're going to be kind of placing in the platform. There are like kind of two DIMMs broadly classified, like there are other, uh, I mean, type of DIMMs, but I've taken two which are most commonly used on 99% of the systems. That is LR DIMM and R DIMM. So what kind of DIMM? Because LR DIMM is something which starts from 64 gig and is a little bit costly as well. And, uh, but when it comes to performance, they give you a superior performance and the density also goes high. But when it comes to RDIM, they perform much better, but their range is very less. Like the max RDIM that you can afford in the market is maximum 32 GB. Which means if you're populating those memory DIMMs, your memory on the individual node comes down drastically. So that's where you kind of take or uh, uh, you decide which is suitable for you. If you are on a more denser server and a faster server, it's LRDIM that you go for, right? And the second thing that is very important is how you populate these memory in your like kind of, I mean, in the platform. That is very important. Um, we have our, like, there's another slide which speaks more in detail, which we will be covering uh, later. But, and the final thing, um, Intel obtained memory is something which we don't support. So uh, that's going to be coming on down the lane in another like few releases later, uh, just for an M FYI kind of thing. So this was, I was like kind of uh, speaking about like how you populate your DIMMs. This is really important. Uh, for that matter here, in this case, we have a single socket. On both the sides, you have channels like A, B, C, those are the channels. And then you see the slots where you put in your DIMMs. So if you see them, in total, you have eight channels. And every individual channel has got two slots in them. So if you kind of fill up one slot on both the sides, that is eight DIMMs, right? So what would happen is that the CPU or the DDR RAMs or the DIMMs that you have got there would kind of clock in at 2666 MHz in that particular range. So which means somewhere if you are placing all the 8, not instead of 6, 
you will be like working at a range or a bandwidth at about uh, close to 21 GB per second, gigabytes per second. And now, let's say this is at 2666 megahertz at that frequency this operates when you populate this model. Now when you step back, okay, I want a much denser sub, meaning like I want 1 TB or 2 TB of configuration. So you go ahead and populate the other slots. So what would that mean is, it would increase the operating frequency from 2666 to 2133. That is 2133 megahertz, meaning your theoretical throughput or the bandwidth that you're gonna be affording is kind of much lesser. Back then in 2666, remember it was 21 gigabytes per second. It comes down to 18 to 19 gigabytes per second. And there are certain other configurations as well, uh, let's say in case of 2P and other things like say two sockets, when you keep populating every slot that is available for you, you would be reducing the operating power. It can come up to almost like 15 to 16 gigabytes per second as well. So that's the one which affects on how fast you access or how memory is being accessed and that can have an impact on memory. So in some of the testings we did, uh, the LRDIMS, especially with AMD EPIC processor which are like high on number of cores. Uh, the LRDIMS actually perform much, much uh, better way. So have these things in mind when you kind of do it, but most likely your hardware vendor would usually take care of it, but you just have a check with them, that really helps you. Like it's a hidden uh, benefit that you can easily get, but there are some cost factors will, will be at play. I'm not saying no to it, but at the end of the day, as long as you get a faster, like kind of, a, I mean, operating or like kind of a working vSAN cluster, that that's something that you expect and that's what you want for, right? So this is very important, have a look. Similarly, like in case of Intel, also Intel Cascade Lake, that's the latest one, the flashy one, which also has certain bits into it, like the same way the channels and how they are distributed, how you populate the memory, everything also comes in here. So have a conversation, what kind of DIMMs and what is the performance that you want. So when you have those conversations, the OEMs or the vendors would be able to explain you much more in detail. Yeah, so that's something um, good to know. And coming on, like compute, okay moving away from compute when it comes to disk groups, right? That's where the entire, like the, uh, the ha actual heavyweight or heavy lifting happens. So the disks, right? People ask, okay, how many disk groups is something that is optimal? Because any customer with whom I have uh, kind of worked with or they kind of work on like, okay, hey, Karthik, I'm, I have a cluster here, this is working, it's fine, but I have other projects where I need to create or I need to kind of uh, set up a bigger clusters. Uh, what do you suggest? This is a common question what we get from our customers. So based on the internal experiments, uh, what we have done, what we see is that if you have like say one disk group, that's a bare minimum, max of five disk groups you can have for a every individual node. Uh, what we see is the most customers prefer two to three range, two to two disk groups or three disk groups range. And when we tested it in our labs, when you have like two disk groups, right, your performance doubles. And similarly, when it comes to three, it doubles. Like basically the IOPS gets increased with the same set of latency when I mean. Now, when you increase it more than four and five, right, the, the linear or the improvement in the performance is not so linear, which means the sweet spot is at three disk groups. This is some performance angle as well. And the other angle is, let's say there is something that's gonna go wrong, right? There is something called a fault domain, so which also comes into play. So if you have more than one disk group, that is two or three disk groups, it's always better. So go for a configuration which has like more than one disk group, but unless and until you really need anything more than, I mean like kind of three, go for it. Otherwise stay between two and three, that's, that's the recommendation. And if you are using a not so flashy kind of a beefy config for all flash, um, make sure you have your storage policy which includes a stripe width. Basically, you are trying to split comp objects into multiple components, spreading across your entire cluster. 
so that all your IOs are not going to go into one single caching layer or one single node. It's spread across the cluster making use of the clustered resources. That's something we strongly recommend our customers to do as well. Right? And uh, have in mind, when you're going for the latest version we have from, I mean, recent versions do support RAID 5 and RAID 6 concepts as well. And when you're going for RAID 5 and RAID 6, you have IO amplification, which means every single reads and writes will be amplified by 2x or 3x in this particular configuration or if you set this particular policy to your virtual machine. So when you do that, what would be the impact? Do not change that dynamically as and when you need. Yes, you can afford to do it, but if you know what you're doing, then it, it makes sense. But if you're not sure of what you're doing and you just say, okay, hey, um, I want to just change this particular policy from uh, RAID 1 or RAID 0 to RAID 5 and RAID 6 dynamically, and you have a lot of VMs and they're like kind of heavy VMs, obviously you're going to be pumping a lot of IOs and that's going to impact your performance for your virtual machines as well. So make sure you time it appropriately like during the uh, like kind of a, a low watermark period or like kind of a I mean weekend or anything like where you don't really get impacted or the number of IOs that are generated by the VMs are pretty much less. And finally, um, big data applications, uh, that's something we have seen with many customers as well because of a uh, lot of things coming into on the vSAN platform, right? We see uh, people usually go with the default policy of FTT equal to one. You don't really need to. Uh, for two reasons, one, space savings and other things. And f coming back to our context here in terms of performance perspective, you really don't because the, I mean, the uh, redundancy is all kind of taken care of the app stack or application level itself. So you don't have to really do that. And most importantly, you are not letting your IO hop out into the network. So the network hop is cut down on here. So which means you save or uh, the application runs even much better when you have in this critical configuration, especially for big data applications or any application that has redundancy built in at the application level. And uh, Intel Optane um, NVMe disks are like something which are fast performing. I mean, Intel claims it's more than like 20, 30, I mean, at least 30% faster than the fastest SSD. But uh, it, it, it is definitely, I'm not <laughs> disputing that number, but uh, if you are looking for a faster performance or at least the cache layer, go for uh, NVMe kind of devices. I don't want to be a vendor specific, but in general, NVMe is, is much better. And congestion is something very important. Um, if you start seeing congestion means basically you are trying to kind of pedal back and say, okay, hey, IOPS, go ahead and stop. I mean, you are pushing back to the uh, guest OS and back to the application, slow down. That's the message of what congestion is in, in, a, in a nutshell. And it can come for multiple reasons, but you can cl broadly classify in two buckets. One, uh, it could be a hardware problem, all right? Uh, the hardware problem could be a bad or a failed disk or something which is about to fail or the controller has some issues or anything of that sort. Or in, under the hardware bracket itself, your hardware is not properly uh, configured for the amount of data that it's gonna give you, right? That's the hardware. Software side is something like maybe some of the components has a known issues or like kind of a bug or something of that sort. So those are two things when you see. And when you see congestion, that's at high time that you kind of trigger the alarm and then either you kind of start looking into it to figure out what is causing it. If not, uh, raising a support request with VMware support to uh, help to identify what it causes. And the reason I'm highlighting again this congestion, it's, it's it doesn't like, it's not like it improves your performance, but basically it increases or decreases your uh, kind of a performance. And it can be times severe that it can entirely bring down your cluster as well. So it can be very dangerous. To, I mean, it, it's always I suggest nip it at the bud. All right, network. Uh, all these things what we saw, right? So if you look at the uh, VMware HCL, like bring your own device kind of concept, uh, where you can build your own vSAN nodes and stuff. 
uh, you will see SSD, um, hard disk in, in terms of a hybrid configuration or a HPA controller, but you will never see a network card. But network being a networked storage is, is kind of a backbone to how your vSAN cluster is going to perform. And um, if you are using AllFlash, make sure it's 10 gig, nothing less than that. And if you're using NVMe of those sort of devices, always go for a 25 gig or above. The reason I'm saying is, um, these faster caching devices like NVMe can easily kind of overwhelm the underlying store, I mean the networking stack or the bandwidth it gets. So they are super fast that you can easily kind of fill up or throttle or kind of get uh, the NIC card to stop dropping packets. And when you stop, drop packets, right, that is equally dangerous and um, I mean in terms of when it comes to performance as well. The more the packets drops, the more the degradation that you would see. So it can be even the latency what you experience because the packet drops can go up to almost like 500 or even a second for every single I.O. So which means it's, that's very dangerous. So getting a sturdy network and enough bandwidth for your workloads is very, very important. Trust me when I say this. And we see a lot of customers, the moment they start seeing, so that's the area where we look at, okay, what is the configuration, is all the components in the HCL uh, of what we define. If everything looks good, the next thing that we logically look at is, what is happening with the network? Is it the network stable enough? Because that's where we see many a times customer runs into a problem. And when it comes to network, uh, so it could be uh, not a properly sized NIC card that's in place or the I.O. that has been pumped is too much and quite a lot of other things. And finally, a couple of things uh, we noted, like one is traffic shaping. Traffic shaping in itself doesn't help you or, uh, I mean, decrease the performance, but what happens is, it doesn't allow you to scale when you really need to. Let's say there is a situation where uh, the bandwidth is already congested, so it stops, which means if it's gonna restrict your vSAN, so the performance, everything is gonna come down, the IOPS and everything. Uh, this was some time back, but these days you don't really have it, but there is something called cloud health that we use it. So those uh, health checks, actually verifies all these things and tells you yes if you have configured this is something you have to uh, that is causing a problem or this is something that you have to kind of go ahead and disable or kind of alter it if at all we are kind of reaching to a point where the congestion starts kicking in and reduces your performance so this is no more uh, something you have to do it manually these days it's automated but i wanted to highlight that there are quite a lot of configurations so it's not because there are configurations and you can configure uh, you can do that but unfortunately you shouldn't be shooting your own food that's very important Jumbo frames, um, yeah, so it, it doesn't have a direct impact on the vSAN performance, but it has an indirect way. So when you incre when you have your uh, setup, everything configured in jumbo frames, then go for jumbo frame configuration for your like VM kernels and the uh, uplinks as well. If you have jumbo frames, it helps you to reduce the CPU cycle. When the CPU cycle reduces, that's used by other threads and things to fasten up. So it's a kind of an, in, I mean, indirect one, it's not a direct performance. So if you have it, go for it. If your setup doesn't or isn't configured for jumbo frames, then it's okay. It's, it's fine, you can ignore them. And uh, the last thing, right, uh, driver and firmware, it's very, very important, okay? Uh, trust me when I say it's very important. There are a few areas, something which are really critical for vSAN. When it comes to drivers and firmware, Whatever we spoke all this while, like CPU, memory, all those things are static. So you configure it one time, you get it right at the beginning, that's it. You're not gonna change that pretty often. But this is something that keeps changing. It's very dynamic. Like when you update or when you patch a server, there are good chances this can be changed or modified. So when you change different versions or like kind of drivers and firmwares, make sure three things you have in mind. It's up to date, it's compatible, and when you say compatible, it's compatible with the version that you're running as well as compatible with your firmware as well. 
because some of them may work with any kind of firmware, but some of the driver versions specifically work with this minimum set of driver or a firmware version. Only with that, it is compatible. And we have seen a lot of issues with the customers, like it could be performance, it could be packet drops when it comes to NIC cards, or when it comes to HBAs, there could be devices where it kind of bails out when the I.O. is too much, wherein um, the disk gets kind of disconnected or kind of goes offline for whatever reason. So it's very important you get that right and always verify them. And uh, so the last option, right, when it comes to NIC card, it's something people tend to overlook, at least for HBAs, uh, I mean, I see usually customers are concerned on what version they are going into. But when it comes to the NIC card version, right, they just update, they don't really look through a lot of things. There are quite a lot of uh, features when it comes to a driver that are like kind of helps you with the performance of vSAN as well. How? Let's say there is something called NetQ or uh, you have like RSS, they help you. So sometimes some of the driver versions what you had may had the RSS enabled by default, but in the later versions it could be disabled as well. So verify what is available and what is not available for that particular driver. And how do you get that? The shortest way and easiest way is look to the release notes that gets downloaded automatically when you download a driver. This is something not uh, many of the customers look at at all. They just take it for granted. When you download the driver, the driver has in a, in a zip format or something which also has a text file. Just open up once if you are using like say Intel i40 or Broadcom NICs or like kind of Emulex or anything of that matter. Look through it. It will have a known and I mean uh, resolve issues. Apart from it, it will have what features does it support. That's very important when it comes to the performance of NIC and especially the buffer. Many times we see the packets are getting dropped because they didn't have enough buffers or the rings were getting full. So that's an area where I would request you to focus before you start even the activity of patching or modifying the drivers. Very important. All right, so these are all things we have seen. So if you look at, uh, we've been focusing more towards the hardware side, but we haven't come anything on these, I mean, vSAN software side of things, right? Uh, let you know that uh, vSAN is built in such a way that it can dynamically adjust to the kind of underlying configuration that you have. So which means if you have like an all flash, it, it knows that this is all flash configuration, it adjusts accordingly so that you get the optimum performance. So that's already built into it. So that's where you wouldn't see much of focus on what you do or fine tune things, but it will be all in terms of suggestions, okay, how do you set up or how do you configure every individual node in a vSAN cluster. And the most important thing when, when we say keep your vSAN versions up to date. Um, I, I usually have, I get a giggle from a customer when I'm speaking on a phone, okay, hey, uh, it's okay. I mean, every, every uh, vendors or every uh, support asks me to keep an update version, but there are two reasons to it. One, there are known issues which we want to do it. And second thing is, uh, there are a lot of improvements on vSAN that could help you as well, like some of the components. Let's say uh, resync is something important that's been modified. Let's say if you are on an older version, it's time for you to upgrade. And there are improvements that are resync and snapshots and other things that adds to your performance as well. So stay today, uh, stay up to date with the latest version. And uh, last point, do not make configurations on the fly or I mean, make sure you're kind of streamlining them. That's very important. The moonshots would be like um, stale objects. This is something uh, where we don't usually see with customers, but if you are in POC and you're moving your POC environment into your production, so that is when you get to see this particular problem coming up. So stale objects helps you to occupy space as well. So when you delete them, that helps you. When it comes to performance, they don't impact them directly. This is also an indirect benefit. What happens is that uh, your uh, component distribution gets skewed because of the stale object. So which means all your IOs somewhere which was supposed to be distributed is being pumped into one single node or one single capacity disk, which is like something is not so great or not so good to be in, right? That's one. And yeah. 
log snippets, just to tell you like when a congestion happens, right? These are the log snippets that you need to be aware of. If you're anytime seeing this thing, that's a time for you to kind of hit the alarm button, right? And these log snippet is very important and especially the two KB articles that you find here is something I would suggest you to bookmark. It's not for vSAN as such specifically, but it includes for anything on the vSphere uh, storage stack as well. If you see any of these devices like highlighted ones X028, that is a read command in SCSI terms. And if you're seeing like getting a check condition, right? HDP, do you see there? HX0X0D02, that's important for you to note. If you're having it, something is not right. Device drivers, firmwares, that's the area you're gonna be focusing next, yeah? All right, that brings us to uh, the end of this particular session. So um, make sure you always stay up to date with the versions. Configure your uh, nodes in the right way so that you don't have to relook at it down the road or down the lane, one. And finally, when you are dealing with performances, be methodical. There's nothing that helps you. If you are like trying to change a lot of things, you don't know where you start, what happened, what did ended up. So make sure you make one change at a time and go in a proper fashion, okay, this is the numbers that I got before the change and this is the number that I got, that really helps you. And pretty much when it comes to support, I'm sure if you have already worked, uh, they would be following through a methodical process and that's what we go by. So, uh, and definitely that's something I would suggest, don't mess up there at that particular one, because a lot of things get skewed easily if we miss that one important thing, right? Right, so, Finally, those are uh, the uh, additional resources I would suggest you. Those are some of the VMworld videos as well, and you have some documentation landing pages. They have a ton of information, whatever we discussed, and a lot of other things that helps you to build a successful vSAN cluster. Yeah, right. All right, that's pretty much I had for the day, and thanks very much for taking time and joining this particular.